2: I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite lore cast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Specters, welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is Udina, Episode 2 understanding udina with your host tom or
3: robots and
2: n7 legend how's it going sam
3: yeah we should just get really close to the mic and like whisper into it like we're in pr yeah
2: welcome to today's episode everybody thank you for joining us sam how, I'm, how
3: are you sam i am sitting here in my studio with a warm cup of tea and we will be discussing udina as a person
2: My Tervis tumbler is full to the brim with flavored orange water. I will take a sip now and listen to you describe what we will be discussing today.
3: As I describe this, we will have soft hands playing in the background. (laughs) Sorry. Tom is dying. Um, I think I breathed some of my drink. (laughs) <laughs> the orange drink hit him hard. Uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs>
2: Man, that like went right into my lungs. <clears throat> I, I really committed to the bit. I was doing like the bubbly drink sound. Mm. Ugh, it went right into my lungs. So, uh, hey, welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> this is real good for podcasting. <sighs> um, yeah, I hope you listened to the last episode because we talked about Udina. And how terrible he is. Um, I think we're probably going to talk more about how terrible he is. Yeah. My eyes are watering.
3: <coughs> yeah. <laughs> about Udina. Um, so last <laughs> last episode, of, if in, in case you skipped it, um, last episode we kind of dissected Udina's transition from Mass Effect 1 through Mass Effect 3 and how Udina goes from this cold politician who can be seen as somewhat of a necessary evil to this straight up co-conspirator co-conspirator of Cerberus and tries to you know overthrow the Citadel Council in a violent coup attempt so if you're interested in hearing more about that uh, definitely go back to the last episode but from here on forward uh we're going to be discussing some other things about udina that we didn't have time to in the last episode uh number one i found this to be a pretty fun fact when i was researching udina uh so we might as well get it out of the uh, out in the air uh, as soon as possible voiced by a guy named bill ratner uh now bill, bill ratner, ratner has has done a number of other voices for the Mass Effect projects, including Mess Sergeant Rupert Gardner. Rupert Gardner. Uh huh. He's the guy that's the cook, but also the janitor in <laughs> Mass Effect Two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, kind of a funny gag bit there, and also, <laughs> Hollis Blake. I'm
2: having a gag bit still,
3: myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm beating myself, but,
2: man, I really sucked in some water. Oh, man.
3: <laughs> do, you, do you need to get some water? I've got some here, but
2: I'm, like, still coughing it out of my lungs. <laughs> I'll be alright, you keep talking.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, so, so we know that Udina's, uh, voice actor gets to voice another very pleasant guy, uh, Rupert Gardner. And uh, by pleasant, I mean, apparently, he uh, he's a terrible cook. And there's this really popular joke, which someone has mentioned here in chat, Dave Adelaide says, through the cracks, (laughs) basically saying that his food tastes like ass. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, the voice actor for udina doesn't really voice these likable people i think depending on who you like i don't think many people like rupert gardner i don't know why Um, but (laughs) hollis blake and a couple of other featured extra krogan are included on that as well Um, bill Ranner has been voicing people for a little while uh in media and video games and whatnot and i didn't look up really any of the other people outside of mass effect Oh, he's been in a lot.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm looking through it right now. <laughs> I yep. still can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is funny. Rip. Yeah, he's been in a lot of like uh cartoons.
1: Hmm.
3: Anyone we might know?
2: Uh oh, man, I still can't talk. Um uh Dog's Life, um Dead of Night, the T V series. He was the narrator, if you're familiar mm. with that. Uh Uh, he's he's the narrator on like oh, man I still can't talk like a number of things man I really committed to that bit like way too much. <laughs> man, uh, be the last time you inhale liquid, yeah. He was in uh, Grand Theft Auto. Uh, it's like oh, some, yeah. some miscellaneous characters. <clears throat> yeah, and, and an, so,
3: an announcer in some of the games. Uh, I do remember <clears throat> seeing that this guy. Uh, narrates and does the, uh, you know, like uh, voiceovers for a lot of documentaries, a lot of documentaries on the Discovery Channel, uh, health channel, things like that. So if you, if the voice of Udina sounds familiar, that might be why. Uh, but you know, we didn't get to talk about a really, really big portion of Udina that I think deserves the recognition. And uh, that is that. We didn't get to talk about the claim that Udina makes at the beginning of Mass Effect 3. If we remember in in Mass Effect 3, Udina says this really like kind of off the cuff remark to Shepard about like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm the most powerful human in history now. Something like that. (laughs) Jeez, yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but this is an off the cuff remark that we really need to dive into from a lore perspective because... Well, there's a few reasons why Udina might say this. Number one, because the Reapers have destroyed Arcturus, which is Arcturus Station, which is the home of the Systems Alliance Parliament. And the Systems Alliance Parliament, like we talked about last episode, has overarching authority for all of Earth's colonies outside of the solar system. Uh, It is for all intents and purposes, the governmental arm, which which has control and power over all of humanity's military, Mm -hmm. kind of a big deal. Um, So when the Reapers destroyed Arcturus station, it was a joint session of Congress. Like I say, Congress, Parliament, it was a a joint session of Parliament. That's the easiest way to put it because all everyone was there. The entire parliament was there and the prime minister was there too. So everyone was there. Reapers invade right through right through the mass relay. They destroy Arctura station. And so most of humanity's galactic political leadership, dead, all gone, the entire parliament and prime minister. There's lots of high ranking military leaders who die because there were several fleets which engaged in the battle to defend Arctura station and its reapers. They didn't do too well. So all of these fleets, A lot, a lot of human uh, naval personnel. They perish a lot of high ranking uh, personnel as well. And they defend Admiral Hackett's retreat so that he can save the fifth fleet. So Hackett has a little bit of plot armor there. Sure. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. But Hackett is also a fleet admiral. And Hackett has, uh, for those who aren't in the military, it's a very, very high level, damn near the highest level. And then after this Arcturus, the Battle of Arcturus Station, it is the highest ranking in the entire alliance, Navy. So the command infrastructure for humanity has been, com- has been thrown into complete disarray. And with Udina now as kind of like the sole extrasolar politician it's kind of how it seems right yeah that udina kind of does have the most power in human history because it's wartime and all of a sudden udina has inherited every so the the jobs of the parliament still need to be done but no one's in parliament who's going to make them of course it would be the first human counselor right right or second depending on you know if it were Anderson first or sure, whatnot. Sure. And also, who else is he gonna report
2: back to at this point? Right. I mean, right. so much is in disarray. Like
3: Right. Like Um Yeah, who who is going to check his power? Exactly. Uh, that's a good question. Exactly. And on top of this, like if he's already
2: been corrupted by Cerberus, like we discussed on the previous episode, and he's already been pulling strings. And making things happen behind the scenes, even against the wishes of other people, he probably feels like he's hitting above his weight more than his position actually is. Anyway, does that make sense?
3: And is that a problem for someone who's super ambitious?
2: <laughs> well, yeah, right. But like, if he, if he's if he's actually like, yes, his position is a, at a certain level. But if the things that he's actually accomplishing are above that. Because of the things that he's doing nefariously, then he may believe that he in fact is, regardless of what his position is, the most powerful human who's ever existed.
3: Right. Might not be in the job description, but he's doing it. Right.
2: Right. The things that I have achieved that nobody even knows that I've done make me the most powerful person who's ever existed.
3: Yeah. So interesting remark, I remember when he said that, I thought, well, that's kind of arrogant, but we'll go on. (laughs) Right. Like, Um, okay,
2: douchebag. Yeah. We all know you're a douchebag, so no surprise there. Right. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I see some debate in, in the chat, uh, just a remark about the, the status of Hackett's, uh, ranking (laughs) that if, if you go into some, um, hardliner uh, forums about ranks and whatnot. That is the point of a lot of contention. And so when I say Fleet Admiral, I'm just making like a real life comparison. Um, I'm not sure what Mass Effect prescribes Hackett's rank to be. But effectively, he is the chief of the Navy. Like there is no doubt he is the highest ranking admiral in the Navy uh, after the Arctura station thing, which is why Shepard coordinates so closely with Hackett in Mass Effect 3. Um, But and about Hackett, it's interesting that that uh, that Udina would claim that that Udina is the most powerful person because we don't really know the, the intricacies of how much power the counselor has over the military and it's wartime. So yes, the counselor serves as the face of humanity's government. but in our own world during wartime, even democracies relinquish a large amount of power to the heads of government. Sure. Yeah. It, it's more efficient. Like it's a necessity.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Th- um, things have to get accomplished. We can't just stand in debate.
3: Right. But I seem to remember in Mass Effect 3, there was an email that Hackett sends out, I think to all fleets and I, I couldn't find it. it. It's, you know, I'd have to replay the game and find it that way. Um, but in case someone else can find it you know feel free to i remember an an email from hackett where he he sends it to all fleets and basically says because of the decimation and the losses i'm now the big boss (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. you're taking your orders from me i'm coordinating all of humanity's collective resistance against uh the reapers and um this is something that would stand at odds with what udina tells us right? Mm-hmm. Um, that Udina is the most powerful. And yet, how much command does Udina directly have over the military? Do you think that Hackett is going to directly disobey an unlawful order from Udina? Do you think I f- think so?
2: Yeah. Do, well, so I mean, this brings up some of the questions I have, like, is the context of I'm the most powerful? Does he mean I'm also in charge? Because being the most powerful doesn't necessarily mean I'm the one in charge. Do you you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I see what you're saying there. Um, You could be the most powerful person, but also not necessarily be the person giving the commands.
3: I think Udina views it as if the mil if I want the military to do something, they're going to do it.
2: Right. But he could also he could also just I don't I don't yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I'd have to see the scene again to understand, like, is he saying that, like, I am the commanding officer of everybody at this point? Like, I am the acting leader of well, of humanity? Or is he saying, the context, like, I am like, I'm like, you may not realize it, but I am the most powerful human here
3: the context is kind of like that it's kind of like it's a humble brag Mm -hmm. it's you know oh the burden of leadership you know i i'm at least from what i remember of the context that's kind of how it comes across um so i guess we can't look into it too much but it does it does bring up a really really great uh point which is you know who would have power over the military in this scenario right
2: right because he might still think that he has the most power but he doesn't necessarily have direct control over the military
3: mm, yeah if it's not udina you know if if, if 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 the protocol doesn't legally go directly to udina then my question is who's willing to stick their neck out and question the human counselor it's a time of war yeah Who's willing to be that voice of dissent in this time of incredible chaos, insane levels of confusion, and pure existential threat? Who's willing to be like, "No, counselor, you don't have the right to do that," mm-hmm. and I question your motives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bold move. Um, uh, shepherd, so, <laughs> shepherd. <laughs> yes,
2: I mean, like, uh, who else, right?
3: Shepard, who just got his uh, battlefield reinstatement from Anderson himself. Right. right. Uh, or, or her battlefield reinstatement. Yeah, but they're, they're, this brings yeah. up another great point mm-hmm. that we should discuss. In peacetime, what power does Udina actually have in peacetime? Let's take the war powers argument out of this. Sure. How about as ambassador before Udina's even counselor? I bring up that. And by the way, the answer is not entirely clear, but I bring mm-hmm. up that. Because Udina is ambassador in Mass Effect One, there is no human counselor, and yet, as ambassador, Udina orders to ground the Normandy, and that order comes from Udina's office, or at least that's what Udina makes us think. Right. So, <clears throat> yeah, is he making some calls, or is he? Does he literally have the authority to do so? Right. Or is is he communicating the
2: call, but then? Saying in a way in a way where he's making it seem like he's the one who's actually making the call like uh, Is he is He smart enough to know that if he makes his office seem more like is he smart enough to know that a lot of people don't know what his Full extent of power is I think So so if he communicates it in a certain way it can sound like he made the decision even when he's just the one communicating mm-hmm. the decision.
3: Yeah. I, you know, I think so. Um, and I think he's not entirely against abusing his power
2: mm-hmm. because like, uh, like really, like if you think about it, like wouldn't, isn't that what a lot of like the top ranking bad guy, toady does like, isn't mm-hmm. like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm the number one, uh, com- commanding officer for the Dark Lord, but like the Dark Lord never comes down from his tower. So, right, I'm gonna tell you that all the decisions come from me and I'm the commanding power here until all of a sudden the Dark Lord comes down from his tower and all of a sudden now I'm the one kneeling and saying, Yes, Lord, yes, 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 uh, you know, and yeah, and now I'm a piling p- a-, a puddle on the ground, right? Like, yeah, he wants to take credit, <laughs> right. Right. He wants to take credit, but it's really all the Dark Lord's ideas. And I'm now I'm just the mouthpiece, but nobody knows that until the Dark Lord shows up.
3: Right. And and that's not the only thing he does as ambassador. Remember, he threatens an investigation into Anderson for organizing these strikes against Cerberus, which vague on if he's ambassador or assistant to the counselor or counselor uh, position exactly is vague. But it doesn't matter for Udina because Udina, I think, As per as as we see in Mass Effect 2, if Udina is the assistant, he tries to order Anderson around and Anderson's like, oh, uh, no. Right.
2: Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I I think that this is like a real world thing. Like this is like another reason why these are written so well is that this is a power struggle that happens all over the place, especially if um, And I, I know you've worked in some complex organizations like. Anybody who's worked in a very large corporation knows that this kind of stuff can't happen. Like I worked I worked for a multi-million dollar corporation and the organizational structure of those kinds of companies gets very complex to the point where like I had a direct report, but then I had a dotted line report to somebody else from a completely different like column. And that didn't mean that they could give me direct th- things to do, but technically because my direct report didn't work in my state and most of the time I was working underneath alongside somebody else who I was parallel with this other person was technically somebody I reported to right like there's these weird connective tissue between these different groups so you have these moments where like people try to like because nobody really knows who's in charge in these weird moments where like different people are connecting to different people where they try to play like they're higher ranking than other people. And it's not military, so they're not really ranked. But you do this thing where it's like you try to act like you have seniority over other people or there were definitely people that would act like they have seniority over other people. And usually it was like douchebag older men who would do yeah. this thing. It's super annoying. And it's super annoying. And me as like a a mid-30s guy at the time would like walk into these rooms and, you know, like douchebag older men would try to act like they have seniority. And I'd be like, wait a minute, I get paid more than you and I'm in a position like... You don't have seniority over like where I leave the meeting and then I go talk to my boss. And I was like, this really weird thing happened today where so and so tried to tell me this. And he's like, yeah, you don't have to listen to him. And I was like, OK, <laughs> I've
3: been in that situation. I'm just,
2: just going to completely ignore that then. He's like, yeah, just ignore him. <laughs> I was like, OK, yep. cool. Thanks. You know, and if and if anyone ever asks, just tell them that I told you to ignore him. He can come talk to me about it. <laughs> and I was like, OK, cool. You know, but I feel like that's totally the kind of thing that happens here. Right. Where it like Udina is Udina's trying to do the whole like, yeah, this is, you got to do this, you got to do this. And Anderson's the one who's smart enough to know like, you can't tell me what to do.
3: Yeah, it is. Uh, and that is exactly what happens here. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that Shepard never says, I'm sorry, how many bosses do I have? Right.
2: Oh, I've had, I've totally had those conversations where I've gone yeah. to my boss. I'm going like, wait a minute, who's, who can tell me what to do? Like how many people can put things in my inbox that I'm absolutely expected to like follow through with? Like.
3: Yeah, that shit is so annoying. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but granted, even though Anderson tries to do this, like it kind of ultimately doesn't matter if the authority rests with him, because as ambassador, his job is to be PR for humanity. Yeah. So, you know, and he's the only ambassador. So a call to the top Navy brass saying, hey, your crazy commander is about to ruin our shot at a council spot that we've worked for, you know, my entire working career for Um, that kind of call would go a long way.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because they need somebody who can stand up and say that they need somebody to be checking in on that person. Absolutely. Well, tell you what. It's time for a mid-break, and we actually do have a, uh, a review. It just didn't come up on my list, but now it's there. I can see it. And uh, so we're going to read a review. We'll be right back, and we're going to talk more. We're going to talk more crap about Udina, so stay tuned. Here we go. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen Anniversary Diamond Orb, gear, a bunch of other items. It is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out. Click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code MAXPOOL. M-A-X-P-O-L. MAXPOOL. Don't miss out on all the free stuff. And thanks again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices.
1: Message coming in. Patching it through. I
0: am sovereign and this station is mine. I like the sound of that.
2: All right. So we do have a review to read out. And yes, two girls, one ship. I will say douchebag one more time. Dishbag. Two more times, I guess. Uh, This one comes from Johnny Porter in Great Britain, who wrote on Apple Podcasts and says, great accompaniment to the games. I've started listening to this podcast on my weekend walks with my Labrador, Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Give Charlie a good a good pat on the head. Give him some good scruffies, like dogs like it, like when you go scruffy, scruffy, scruffy around their necks like that. That's so good. Uh, I find the insights and knowledge of the Mass Effect universe the hosts share as essential listening for any fan of the series. These games helped to get me through some tough times in the past, and being able to take a deep dive into the world and its characters, which I have a great affinity for, is really rewarding. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Johnny Porter. I appreciate the, the time you took to, to leave that review, and that means a that Means a lot. That means. This means the world to us, guys. It really does. Getting kind remarks, uh, putting a lot of work into this stuff and even just getting a kind remark on a tweet or a review like this really does make our day. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. And um, anyone else who leaves a five star review with some words, we'll read it out on the future episode of the show, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that we can find it. So if you do leave it somewhere else and want to send us a screenshot, even we'll we'll read it on a future episode of the show. And You can leave us five star reviews on Spotify. So please take the time to do that as well. Also, we had, we do have a planet card for this episode, Sam. This is a, this one's a quick and quick and easy one, huh?
3: It is. Yeah. Uh, so this one is on Arcturus Station. Probably not a surprise to anyone that's listened to the episodes this week. But, you know, Arctura Station, the planet card says uh, lying at the L5 Lagrangian point of Themis are the fused metal fragments of Arcturus Station destroyed by Reaper capital ships. The station once housed the Systems Alliance Parliament and the nerve center of the military armada. Now it is a cold grave for 45,000 people. Oof. 45,000 people. (laughs) That's no good. Holy shit.
2: Yeah. Oof.
3: Well, and
2: it's also not a planet, even though it's a planet card.
3: It's not a planet, but it's important <laughs> incredibly important for humanity, their military, their mm-hmm. command infrastructure. I mean, seriously, when this was destroyed that that would have dealt an immense blow to any kind of resistance movement that humanity could fathom,
2: yeah, yeah well forty five thousand people I thought to go out to you fictional humans all right well that's the middle of the show. <laughs> Um also thanks for uh thanks for leaving ratings and reviews and if you uh have some friends who listen to Mass Effect share the podcast with them it helps a lot and uh also if you aren't on our discord the robots radio discord there's a link in the in the show notes in the description wherever come join us We love hearing from you guys and seeing the conversations and stuff. And we pop in there and and chat on occasion, too. Actually, we're both in there like every day, to be honest. So come say hi. And uh, let's move on with the rest of the show, because we got more Udina to talk about. Here we go.
0: Spit it out or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought.
2: So one of the things we talked about previously about Udina, when things really started going bad, or at least when we found out that he was turning bad, was his connection with Cerberus and how he was an accomplice with the Cerberus coup. So
3: what else do we know about that? Right. So that leaves us up to debate a question that Shepard, Anderson... Ashley, Caden and the Alliance didn't really have time to do during a war. You know, was Udina Doctrinated? Was Udina a Cerberus plant or was Udina just power hungry? Mm. These are really important questions that because of the urgency and the haste of the Reaper War, no one really had time to think about. And ultimately it didn't matter because Udina was dead. Um, But it's still something that is important from a lore perspective. And I think we should dive into a few uh, ideas here. Number one, we know that Javik and the Prothean VI on Thessia in Mass Effect 3, we know from them that their cycle was plagued by internal turmoil and that there was a traitorous faction that effectively wanted to uh, prevent any progress of any kind of the resistance to the Reaper invasion in their cycle. So they were more or less just obstructionists and their existence as extremists was only to, uh, you know, fuck up plans. <laughs> that was basically <laughs> it. Right. Okay. And, and that's definitely Cerberus in the current cycle in Mass Effect. I mean, how are they always there? How are they al- like every planet you go to and you're just trying to do this one thing just this one thing and servers is there and you're like oh fucking great like it <laughs> should have been a cakewalk awesome And awesome. here they are
2: you guys showed up again. Now. I got to shoot more people
3: Right, yeah, right, and so there's a gameplay reason for that of course, but the lore reason I Mean they're in bed with the Reapers. Ew. first <laughs> first gross <laughs> <laughs> Also weird the scale is definitely off <laughs> yeah I guess they're into tentacles that might be their thing I'm not
2: sure I mean, okay we're not going to definitely judge.
3: something for everyone well, um, we won't judge I'm sorry I'll try not to judge <laughs> <laughs> you know and um I don't think there's any doubt that the elusive man and by extension all of Cerberus were indoctrinated but does this mean Udina was indoctrinated that's a that's a much steeper uh claim I think it's yeah or, that's that's tricky personally i'm just going to go ahead and lead with no i don't think that udina was indoctrinated and i think there's a few reasons the first of which is udina that we know of did not spend any extended amount of time around rebertech that's how people get indoctrinated right that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. or one of the methods um, yeah that's another method know. right no no implants Mm -hmm. Saren got implants you remember that's how we found out that Saren was indoctrinated not only was he flying around inside of a reaper (laughs) sovereign (laughs) part of it yeah (laughs) he also got implanted with reaper technology so that's another way that people get indoctrinated i don't think udina got any reaper implants that we know of yeah um if his goal was to merely mess up the alliance As he stated, he had so much influence. He could have easily done that in a number of other ways, but he didn't do that. And he waited until the Citadel Cerberus coup attempt. So I'm leaning toward no that that Udina was indoctrinated, wasn't indoctrinated, Mm -hmm. but what about being a Cerberus plant for a long time? Like there's this, there's this really popular online theory that that Udina was a Cerberus plant from the very get-go. And I think it has some merit. I don't think that it has any evidence, any explicit evidence in the lore, but I understand why people would question that. So, like we just said, if he was merely there because he was indoctrinated and he was mess and he wanted to mess up the alliance, he could have done it. But then again, how did the Reapers know when Parliament and the prime minister would all be there in that space station at once holding a session. As we know from political bodies all around the world, politicians cannot be bothered to all meet in the same place all at once, (laughs) not to mention that there's serious lines of succession issues with those events. Um, But how could all of parliament, all you know all of the you know legislative aides and the prime minister how could they all be there at once and how did the reapers know about it mm-hmm. well it would make a lot of sense if uh Udina was feeding that information to cerberus right right because you have to understand that the reapers were in dark space before they invaded And they had to have known that that humanity would be there all at once to choose to target Arcturus Station when they did. So the Reapers were in dark space. They were disconnected from all of their intelligence gathering from the Citadel. That was partially thanks to the Prothean scientists on Ilos, who altered the signal for the keepers to respond to the Reaper signal for the keepers to respond to. So they didn't respond. And so that meant that when Sovereign had to go through all the ho- hoops that Sovereign had to go through to f- directly, physically interface with the Citadel in order to try to open up the Citadel as a mass relay and allow all the Reapers to pour through. S- the Reapers also couldn't access the Citadel records, presumably because the Keepers were not responding to the signal. And we see direct evidence of this when Saren shoots to the Keepers at the very end of Mass Effect 1. He's pissed off that the keepers won't do their jobs. <laughs> um, so, how did the reapers get that intelligence? It had to have come from somewhere on the inside, right? Well, the the biggest profile, uh, you know, group that I can think of that would do that with someone on the inside of the alliance is Cerberus. And they also somehow knew the perfect time to strike, the Reapers would. So, you know, like we said, I can't imagine joint sessions of Parliament happen too often. So it could be that Udino was feeding intelligence back to Cerberus and then from the Cerberus from Cerberus to the Reapers. Not necessarily indoctrinated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get what um, you're
2: saying. That makes sense.
3: Yeah, so it could be like, you know, the it could be a few steps removed. Um, and, and how did M- Udina become ambassador? I'm like, I'm feeling very like conspiracy theorist right now because I'm, um, this is all speculation. You need to remember this. This is not, right. you
2: know, right. Cause we've already laid out that. We don't know a whole lot about these specific details.
3: Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so how did Udina become ambassador? Well, we don't really know. We know very little entirely possible that Udina was placed there after Anita Goyle was taken out by a Cerberus smear campaign. Mm-hmm. Now, why would Anita Doyle or Anita Goyle incur the wrath of Cerberus' smear campaigns? There's a very plausible reason here. The reason being that uh, disgraced in 7 Alec Ryder, before Alec Ryder got thrown out of the Alliance, Alec Ryder was intimately involved with AI research, specifically AI human integration research, trying to use AI to improve humanity. And now that sounds like a project right for the picking for the elusive man. Right. Fits right in the elusive man's manifesto. Yeah, But to get project approval, Alec Ryder needed to go to the human ambassador at the time, Anita Goyle. Uh-huh. We see in Mass Effect Andromeda through some memories of alec riders that anita anita goyle was not um receptive to that idea and just kind of uh unilaterally shut it down said nope and then cerberus
2: cerberus gets her out of the way
3: right rider gets thrown out of the alliance all of a sudden rider finds himself in a position of leadership as the human pathfinder on this multi-billion, trillion, you know, quadrillion dollar (laughs) program (laughs) Uh um, for an arc to the Andromeda galaxy. And he's not the only person with very pro-human ties in uh, in that project. And so we also know that Cerberus is active in smear campaigns and fixing and influencing elections like this oh yeah
2: and yeah, we've talked about that a lot
3: although it we did although it has not been proven although it's not specifically stated in the lore who the mysterious benefactor is contributing to the Andromeda uh initiative it could very well be Cerberus yeah
2: and we've we, yeah and we previously laid that all out so if right. that, that could line up sure
3: um and so if it's Cerberus it would make sense why they would be placing pro human people in their highest ranks in the, in the Andromeda initiative. So like you said it a little while ago, kind of, it it would make very, very good sense for Cerberus, a group that is deceptive and wants to have as much power as possible within human political circles to try to get their guy on the inside in let's take out Anita Goyle. Let's, you know, pay off some hands here and get our guy in to be the ambassador. And who knows, maybe he will be counselor one day.
2: Right, right, absolutely. That, that totally
3: smells like something they would do. <laughs> right, it's very, very uh, nefarious. Um, mm-hmm. And so there. Are, these connections go pretty deep, right? Um, but this is speculation. It's speculation um, at its best, because there are really there's nothing in the lore that explicitly tells us that Udina's connection to Cerberus has been long lasting. All we know is what we see in Mass Effect three in regards to that. Um, However, however, I think it's also pretty weird that Udina would tell Anderson to stop with the investigations and the strikes into Cerberus. Udina would tell Anderson, you have to stop that or else I'm going to launch an investigation and smear you and you're going to lose everything. Mm-hmm. Seems why pretty direct. It, yeah. Why is that the hill that <clears throat> that uh, Udina is going to die on? Right. Right. And no other
2: justification for it either.
3: doesn't seem like it besides yeah. it being politically inconvenient for the Alliance, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah, um, there was no specific, you know, smoking gun for this. But at the very least, I think it's safe to say that we don't understand just how deep Udina's relationship with Cerberus is or how far it goes back. It would make sense given how pro-humanity Udina is from the get go and how hard he pushes for human power grabs like spectership, you know, shepherds and admittance into the specters and a council position. But again, there's no direct evidence from the lore there. And it also that lines up with his job description.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
3: So, um,
2: man, I, I think there's something to this. I think that, I think you're on something. I mean, again, it's all speculation, but it, it, there's a lot that lines up
3: when the next mass effect game comes out. I want to revisit this episode Uh and, and see if I was right. If they even detail it, I feel like they will, but well, and we've talked about this
2: on previous episodes too. There's a lot of these things that are just kind of these like hanging threads that they very well could like tie into future storylines.
3: I think they'd be a fool
2: not to. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there. Yeah. Um, All right. So to wrap up this episode, uh, you and I were talking before the show about a fun idea that we could play with at the end of each of these episodes. Um, And for those of you who are familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, character alignments, uh, chaotic, neutral, lawful, good, like all of that stuff. We were thinking about talking through, um, how each of these characters would line up in, in like a D&D character alignment. So what do you think, Sam?
3: Mm. Well, you know, I think that um, for me, I would say that Odina is lawful neutral. Mm-hmm. And I know given what we said about what he did with the coup attempts, maybe that lines up with chaotic. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think that Overall, Udina's lawful neutral because it's all about Udina. It's all about, you know, what can Udina grab? And Udina's, until that coup attempt, only willing to do those things through the bounds and sticking within the bounds of the law to chase his ambitions. Not about right or wrong, just about Udina, but wants to do it lawfully. So that's my answer. Why about you? Yeah, I think
2: I think he starts out lawful. Um, I think the actions toward the end we see we see a character shift. I see that. Uh, I mean, a coup attempt by its definition is illegal. Right. <laughs> like it, it, yes. it is. <laughs> um, so we come to find out that although on the surface, most of the time he's acting lawfully by the end, he's 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 acting unlawfully maybe, maybe has shifted to just true neutral. Maybe he's not necessarily chaotic, but is, is definitely true. Neutral. We'll, we'll do whatever he needs to do. Not, not to sow chaos, but to simply get whatever he wants done. So I think you're right. I think he does start out lawful, but I think eventually shifts neutral on that scale. Um, but it's definitely not doing things altruistically. It's not doing things for the greater good. Uh, is doing things for evil purposes no I think I think just true neutral I think I think you're right I think he starts off lawful neutral but eventually by the end of Mass Effect 3 is just a true neutral is just about himself
3: yeah yeah I think we'd like to be able to find some smoking gun that's like he was an evil you know Reaper puppet but we don't have that in the lore yet Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and I think I think it really just depends on how you define evil in the series. Like, was he was he vindictive? Was he doing this to get back at everyone at some point? Was he like ultimately trying to bring down the council, not just for his own gain, but to truly like stick it to them and like destroy them from the inside? Like then I think you're now shifting to evil.
1: Yeah.
3: Right. I don't think he was sadistic.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: So I, th- yeah. I think I think I think
2: you're right. I think he starts out lawful neutral. But I think by the end, I think he's he's no he's no longer not lawful. He's yeah. he's throwing that out the door. He's just he's now just full neutral. He's gone through a character shift.
3: Now, what did you what did you think about how like let's and I think this is an important distinction that we're going to make in these character episodes that there is a difference between a well-written character and a character you just don't like. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. Twitter needs to fucking take a lesson here. Um, absolutely. Yes. Just because you don't like a character doesn't mean that they were not well written. Sometimes characters are written for you to not like them.
2: Surprise. Yeah. Like a really good villain. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: So how did you like Udina as a character?
2: Well, I, I mean, in Mass Effect One, you just don't like him. Like, you just, you just, you just kind of like, ugh, ugh, uh, gonna deal with him again. Uh. But he's not like villainous enough for you to be like, oh, he's such a good villain, you know. Like Saren's right. a Saren's a villain. You're like, oh, Saren, you know. But like, Udina's yeah. just like, oh, the guy at work. I have to. I have to walk by his desk. You know? Like I gotta ask I gotta ask the guy in accounting for another favor. Crap. You know, like
3: Yeah, he's the guy when that when he walks in a room, you're like fucking great. Right. <laughs> like,
2: uh oh, oh, I gotta spend yeah. time on the bus with that guy. Um, or whatever. Uh but by the end he it becomes more interesting. Like the way you've laid out Details are more interesting and and I think that there's room for these kinds of characters in stories because Because these are real people like I think that's like if every character is like this heightened You know action movie version of a character. That's not real. That's not a real story Like you you need people in your stories to fill out like the kinds of real people you come across in a story Otherwise the story just doesn't feel real yeah. Um, you know, and and I think and I think to, to some in some ways, like Anderson is a character like that, like he's he's understated, but he's a very real character. Like he gets the short end of a stick of the stick, but he still stands up for you. He's still like the good dad character. And then he gets the short end of the stick, but he's still like he's still there to like provide you wisdom or security in, you know, like kind of, he's, he's there to just be a good supporting character. And the more you learn about him, the more you realize that like dudes really had a hard time of it, but like he sticks it out, you know, and like that creates a good character. The more you learn about Udina, you realize that like dudes kind of suckier than you thought he was (laughs) like, and (laughs) then in the end, yeah, he doesn't have much moral (laughs) fortitude. Right. And you, and you can, and in the beginning you're kind of hoping that he does. You're kind of going, well, maybe there's a reason for the, you know, maybe there's a reason he's kind of crappy. And then you're going, no, there's not. He's just he's just a he's just a turd. <laughs> like No.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's a turd. He's a turd. Uh um, but how do you think that he's written that that he's a like scale of 1 to 10?
2: Uh I mean I think he's uh, I I, th- I think he like If my if my judgment for well-written character is, is he is he fleshed out and written like a real person? Like, do I know people like him? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like he holds up like a real person. Like there are people like Houdina in this world. And I probably could point out people that I've worked with that are kind of like Houdina. Absolutely. So I think I think he's like an eight or a nine. Like, is he the kind of person that I want to be around? No, absolutely not.
3: Yeah, is he I absolutely agree with your assessment?
2: There. Is he absolutely yeah. is he interesting? Not really. But is he necessary for a story? Sure. You know, especially this kind of character in, in this kind of story? Absolutely. Yes. Um, you know, do I want to deal with him? No. Do I want to be around in a, in a video game where I have to like actually walk my character around and be around other characters because I'm playing role playing as a person? Do I want to spend more time around him? No. Would I rather spend more time around Garrus? Yes. You know, like, sure. But in a story, yeah, you need any characters like this in a story because you have to have that, the shades, you know, you have to have the villain that's like a 10 villain, but then you also have to have villains that are like five villains and are just like this guy again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I think he's well done for the kind of character he is.
3: Yep. I would tend to agree. I don't really have anything to add there. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah,
2: um, so that's it. I would love to hear some of your thoughts on this. Uh, join us on our Robots Radio Discord on the Mass Effect Lorecast channel. Let us know your thoughts. Maybe your alignment asses- assessment is a little bit different. Maybe for some reason you think he's a better or a worse written character than, than we put in the episode. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And uh, Sam, you have anything else going on you want to share before we head out?
3: Oh, you know, I just remembered that there was a funny thing that I saw online about (laughs) Odina before we wrap this up, Uh uh, just real quick. Uh, I found this page on a villain wiki and Odina's crimes that are listed next to him are pretty funny, so I'll just read them out. Conspiracy, attempted coup d'etat, attempted murder, mass murder indirectly, (laughs) treason, abuse of power. Terrorism. And incrimination. Not sure what incrimination means. I'm guessing that's like obstruction of justice. But Mm. um, so, yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, But in terms of what I've got going on, as always, I'm streaming Mass Effect, streaming other games too. But on Mass Effect, I'm streaming on Saturdays. I've got Sassy Shep Saturdays. That's from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern. And I just finished Mass Effect 1 and I've started Mass Effect 2 with my first Fem Shep playthrough. So if you're interested in in, uh, watching some of that, you can find me on Twitch at n seven, the legend. Nice. Yeah. And we've
2: still got our uh, Ukraine uh, charity stuff going. I couldn't think of the word. (laughs) So if you'd like to donate, the info is in the show notes or the description anywhere that you uh, would look for information. It's there. And I will be streaming on the Robots Radio channels on Twitch, on YouTube and on Facebook. So come join me. That's where you can watch this show on Monday nights. And we have, uh, as a reminder, our patron episode coming up on Monday and we need to discuss uh, discuss what we're going to talk about. So maybe favorite head cannons. That's one potential option, but uh, patrons come to chat with us on the discord. Let us know what you think you guys would like to discuss. We'll nail down a topic and we will be chatting with you on Monday at ten thirty Eastern seven thirty Pacific. So yeah, so we were getting some comments in chat about that. So awesome. Awesome. We'll see you guys on Monday and uh, have a great rest of your week. And until then, Stay safe out there. And if you know in Udina, then punch him in the face. Don't actually punch anyone in the face unless they really deserve it. And even then, probably don't punch them in the face. Maybe do it figuratively. Yeah,
3: yeah. That's an assault charge.
2: Yeah. Don't get an assault charge. Don't don't yeah, don't actually punch someone. In the face. Just with your words. Punch them with your words. Yeah, your words. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast, or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at Mass Effect Lorecast at gmail.com.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently.